It's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcatchers, and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Jason Rink. Uh, if you guys have been paying attention to the show, you saw him in the last Four Pony Boys. It was the second hour of that. We talked a lot about the yay stuff. So, uh, you know, figures. We probably won't talk about yay as much, if at all, this episode. So if you want to talk, hear about his yay story, he was there at the uh, whole Alex Jones uh, interview. Uh, go check it out. It was definitely definitely a good one. It was a really fun episode. We had Patriot Jay in the first hour, Jason Rink in the second. It was a good one. Uh, so I think you guys will enjoy this one today. Uh, I do want to let you guys know I did just change up the whole uh, paywall thing. I'm no longer doing the public live streams. Uh, I will still do public live streams for things like Four Pony Boys. And if there's any, like, current event stuff, uh, I don't typically cover current events, so that probably won't happen very often. But on the rare occasion I do, it doesn't make sense to release it a week later. But uh, I digress. For the most part, it's just going to be my four pony boys that remain publicly live streamed. But all the other stuff is going to get paywalled and get released. Like I'll record it, uh, do slash like a, a private li- li- a live stream for my patrons. And then roughly about a week or so later, I'll drop whenever it you know, works out for my schedule. Just so you guys know. So if you want to be a patron and support that, it's as low as two bucks. Uh, Patreon.com just no way Jose 2020. Uh, the highest level is my sponsors, the $20 level. And Mikkel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. I have Jeremy, who has an Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. Uh, follow him at Jeremy Rhymes. And Toad, my co-host on Tower Gang. Uh, we just rebranded to Tower Gang. Uh, definitely go check out that show. Go check out Toad. You can follow him on Twitter at TPH underscore Toad. Uh, also, make sure you go to get some merch. Get some No Way Jose merch at toplobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. He's got other merch as well, uh, other show merch, and other stuff that's not uh, podcast-related. He's got a lot of good stuff I highly suggest checking out. Uh, without further ado, let's get in here. Let's get Jason in. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, brother? How are you? Good, good. I just had to do my little spiel. I'm glad to have you. We had a great conversation last week. I was just people check it out. That was That was fun. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, last minute, you know, I was just yeah. like, hey, I'll come on and talk about this topic. And you had like a, a power lineup that day, <laughs> yep. like rotating people in and out. Reed was on. He was gone. Patriot J. And then I slid in at the end. And yeah. so, yeah, good, good times. Yeah, it was very like uh, just weirdly worked out because it was like uh, I saw you commented on a promo I did for it. And I was just like, huh, uh, you know, what? I bet he'd make a good addition. And then it actually just so worked out. Cause I just did a shitty job as a host and I didn't add, cause usually my, tar- my uh, four pony boy series, I'm shooting for like an hour and a half to two hours because the normal format is like me, Reed, top lobster and Clint and a guest. Uh, maybe one of the guys sometimes can't make it. So it might be only four, but it's four or five people. So if you need to give people time to speak. So I assume an hour and a half, two hours, me being a shitty host, I didn't even ask. And I've done this every time. And I always go make a mental note, like ask them next time how much time they have. And I just always keep forgetting. And then Patriot <laughs> J has like on the moment, uh, like right before, like, you got two hours, right? He's like, what? I was like, oh, my bad. It's like it just worked. And it worked out perfectly. showed up because otherwise it was just going to be me, Top Lobster and Clint just like kind of vamping for another like half hour. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, 
that 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 could be that could be pretty lit too so you know but uh yeah, yeah that was fun man that was fun yeah that was, a, that was a blast uh i mean i guess on the off chance uh people didn't see that episode or they haven't seen you elsewhere you want to provide them let people know who you are what you're about definitely i know you have a long resume a lot of stuff you're working on feel free to expand on all the different projects you're working on right now yeah i'll give you the i'll give you the, the short version uh yeah jason rink i'm down here in austin texas i have a video production company uh professionally and produce documentary films uh, on the side as the passion project um i'm a veteran of ron paul 2007 2008 campaign days which is what got me into the ideas of like liberty and whatnot and uh yeah and so i've just been kind of uh doing that thing for for a while and uh you know, recently got back involved in sort of the world of politics when I decided to document the Stop the Steal uh, movement after the 2020 election, just sort of on a whim. I just was interested. I had some free time. And um, that led me to follow Ali Alexander, Nick Fuentes, Alex Jones, all of these cast of characters around the country, led me to be in D.C. on January 6th and managed to get the exclusive interview with the QAnon shaman 48 hours before he went into jail after he went into the Capitol. And so um, I've got several films that are released or in production right now. One of them is called The Most Canceled Man in America, which is about uh, Nicholas J. Fuentes of the America First uh, show and movement. And then uh, another film called Q Sent Me, which is a series uh, we're getting ready to release another episode of that soon. We're a little bit behind schedule, but we've got three episodes of that dropping. The first one is available at uh, a service called Movies Plus at MyMoviesPlus.com. And the uh, Most Canceled Man in America can be seen there for free right now at mm -hmm. MyMoviesPlus.com uh, with the recent news of Nick Fuentes and Ye rolling together. We made that for free because there's a lot of people who knew who Ye was but have no idea who this other guy is that he's like walking through the airport with. So uh, yeah, that's my story, man. And uh, yeah, so I like to, uh, I've had my head in uh, the uh, election integrity uh, January 6th um, and been canceled from many, many platforms as a result of the work I've been doing there. Yeah, I've actually, I actually had you on the show. I don't know, it must've been something like a year or so ago. Yeah. It's been a while. And it was, uh, it was around the time you were working on that uh, Q sent me type stuff and uh, some of the election stuff. And we had a, you have entered the ranks of the, the handful of shows that is not on YouTube for my show. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it didn't get pulled, but after my strike, I was like, that was one of the ones that came to mind. I was like, you know, I probably should just pull that because it's like, it seems to be once you get a strike, it's like they'll look for other stuff. And I was like, uh, yeah, I took that one down and I took down my Joe Rogan N-word episode. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I, I've been on a Tom Woods show like three times in the last several months and none of those make it to YouTube. Pete Quinones put me on and he got a YouTube strike and a suspension. So it's like, it's, it's a good idea not to. And it, it, it's sort of funny because I'm like, who am I? I'm like, I, am I some dangerous figure to the regime and establishment or, uh, is it just uh, when I speak on a podcast, uh, words are said that are that the AI uh, flags immediately? I don't know what it is, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty toxic to platforms. Therefore, I I don't get as many opportunities to come on shows as I wish, but I always uh, like to come on somewhere, especially where we don't have to censor ourselves too much. Yeah, I mean, maybe some words be a little safe here, but surprisingly, that other other episode did not get taken down. I took that on of my own volition when that strike hit, just out of being safe. 
But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how that one didn't. Uh, we definitely it was at the peak of the censorship, but I think maybe it's just at a small enough show it didn't catch in the algorithm. Yeah, but I was like, you know, I'll just be safe. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely cover some of that. A lot of stuff we talked about in that episode. Uh, kind of, you know, it's coming back uh, here. But you kind of give me a perfect segue ending on ending on Fuentes. I want to talk about Fuentes because he's a guy I've never really done a deep dive on. Mostly just because I kind of just don't care. Like, and, right. like uh, most of the appeal of Fuentes is the outrage and that he always seems to outrage the people I don't like. So I just kind of generally tend to be like, well, it must not be that bad. Like yeah. kind of like a Trump phenomenon where it's like, well, I don't agree with everything, but eh, I, don't know. I don't really find him that offensive. Um, I guess what, what is your opinion and like of him just generally, and then we can kind of maybe start going to his like political philosophy. Cause that's yeah. a lot of love issues. And I, I don't even know, I mean, obviously, it'd be great to have Fuentes, but I don't. I'm not. I don't. I haven't got to that level to where I can kind of pull a dude like that. Now, maybe in the future, I would gladly have him on the show. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I I didn't know who Nick was until I started following the Stop the Steal movement. You know, because you know I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. I I wasn't a MAGA guy. I'm still not a MAGA guy. I don't even know what that means anymore. But like, um, I voted for Trump but didn't like make the decision until like 60 days before the election in 2020, probably like I sort of, it sort of occurred to me. I was like, I actually think I'm going to vote for Trump, you know, like what's happening. I'm a libertarian at heart, but I sort of saw this whole thing of like the left's control of the institutions, academia, mainstream press, you know, Hollywood, all of that. I, I was like, you know, the, they all hate Trump. And he must be dangerous in some way. They're coming at him with everything. So that's kind of where I started to wake up to the idea that like, oh, he's an anti-establishment figure. Maybe he poses some threat to the power base. Uh, wasn't really clear on what that looked like. And so then when the election happened, you know, I followed it the evening of the election and, you know, had some questions or whatever. I was like, this is odd uh, because I've watched election returns many, many years out of my life. I just turned 48 this year. So, I mean, I've, I have been a political guy for like going on 20 years now. And um, when it started happening and, and I started seeing the stop the steal movement popping up, it reminded me of like the tea party movement, but more anti-establishment. I was involved in the tea party movement in the aftermath of Ron Paul um, that thing got co-opted very quickly with establishment GOP types. And so Stop the Steel movement just seemed like interesting. And I was like, I want to I want to see what's going on here. This seems like a story. And so I connected with Ali Alexander on Twitter, um, didn't know him, went out with my uh, filmmaking partner, Paul Eskindone, and we just followed them around the country, really. Um, and it was it was on one of the first stops when we were in Georgia. I think it was like the second day we were in Georgia, uh, mid-November. There was this uh, event outside of the um, governor's mansion. There was like a big group of like hundreds of people out across the street for the governor's mansion. And there was this young dude like in this like green jacket. It was like sort of activist mode bullhorn. And he was just off the off the dome for like 45 minutes or whatever we're filming it the, the energy's there it's multicultural young people and it turned out that guy was nick fuentes and i i didn't know who he was never heard of him and that night when i heard him speaking in that activist mode giving that like rally speech it 
he struck me as somebody that was like a person to watch just from the standpoint of like his ability to articulate ideas, going off the cuff, getting people engaged, like very articulate, very knowledgeable about foreign policy, like globalism, all of this stuff. And I was just kind of like, man, who is this guy? And, and he's interesting. And so that was my first experience with him. I'd never heard his, his show. I didn't know all of the like bad things about him or whatever. And as we were on the Stop the Steal tour, didn't really have an opportunity to like spend any time with him or, or meet him, but we had filmed a number of things that he was involved in. And so in the aftermath of January 6th, we caught wind of the fact that he, um, you know, that the, the federal government uh, seized a half million dollars from his bank account and he was put on a no fly list without being charged with a crime. And at this point, I'd started to follow him a little bit. I'd watched some of his shows. He occurred to me as like uh, a young Zoomer who is like ironic, funny, um, and irreverent. And that was like what he was doing. He had a very passionate following online. A lot of people who, you know, followed what he was doing. And, and so, um, as we heard about this story, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter what anybody, you know, what, what his ideas are the, the federal government doing that to that guy, you know, I've been around long enough. At this point I'd already been canceled, you know, Alex Jones been canceled. Trump had been canceled. All these people, I'm like, this is canary in the coal mine stuff, because when the federal government goes in and, and takes this kind of action, that's violating the Constitution all over the place. And the reason they do it to a guy like Nick is because no one will defend him. Right. He had been debanked um, in, in at some places from a standpoint of like his PayPal was shut down, Stripe, whatever. He couldn't process credit cards online. He couldn't get an Airbnb. He couldn't get a lift. He uh, you know, so. He, he was the most canceled man in America. And I'm like, why? And it's just because he's a, he was a political activist who I think the regime finds dangerous, you know? And so we decided to make a short film about him. Uh, it was really the idea of Paul, my partner, and he um, went and interviewed Nick. He, he earned enough trust from him. He knew that we were involved in the cover and stop the steal. And so we got Nick's story at that time. And, um, I still hadn't spent that much time with him, but then I went to his event. He has an annual event called AFPAC. Um, and at the beginning of 2020 um, is really where I ended up connecting with him. I'd met him a couple of times before that, but ended up spending a lot of time with him at AFPAC because we filmed that. And some of that story became part of the most canceled man in America film. And so, um, yeah, so I, I am definitely was an outsider seeing what, what Nick was up to recognizing that AFPAC was like 14 or 1500 people. And, you know, this is a guy who's been removed from all platforms and yet he can still pull together 1500 people in real life. And like Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke at it. It was like, it, you know, that's like almost as, I mean, I don't know how big Freedom Fest is, but like, that's a big event, you know? And so I was like, this, this guy's actually, something's happening here. And so, um, yeah. And then I started listening to more about what he was talking about, how he had, how he identified himself. I've seen a lot of his shows. Um, and I saw how the media was margin, you know, was, was identifying him and how, what he would say, you know, was true. Um, and I started to say, well, you know, I actually think the way that Nick describes himself is accurate. Like he's a Christian nationalist, like he's not a libertarian, you know, and he doesn't fit within the mainstream of the Republican party, you know? And, um, 
So, yeah, and he talks about white identity issues, you know, and one thing that I think um, I have started to understand, you know, I, I don't go out there and talk about white identity issues, but I think that if identity politics is going to be a thing, like if if groups can take their identity, whatever it is, trans, gay, women, black, whatever, and they can shape form an interest group around it and push for policies that benefit that group or whatever. I'm like, then whites can do that too. Like, so I don't see white identity politics as any different than any other identitarian politics out there. And, um, and not to say that necessarily I love identitarian politics, but it's like, these are the political realities we're in. And so, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's my yeah, long rant as far as like how I first got to know Nick how I experienced him. I will say personally, like I really like Nick. Um, I've spoken to him at length. I find him funny, articulate. His ideas are well thought out. Um, you know, he's very committed to what he believes as a 24 year old man. He's been doing this for like six years and, you know, his entire trajectory of his life is, is, is not going to be the same based on the fact how he's gone out there to just stand in his conviction about what he thinks and believes. And so um, I don't think that Nick is a white supremacist. Like, I don't think he's a racist. Um, I, I think, but I do think that he talks about things that nobody else will talk about. And he has, you know, gotten to the place where he's so canceled that he can, and he's still allowed to function. He's still able to make a living. And he has built his own video streaming platform. That's really great and robust and uh you know he's really he's really up to something so so that's how it is um i consider nick a friend i i i like him personally and um i think that he one of the things i said when we made the film and i ran into a bunch of problems with freedom fest some people might have heard about that you know i said at that point like look this is not a guy to ignore right you may not agree with his politics or his positions but he's actually a force to be reckoned with he's not going away and he's only drawing more and more people into his ranks. So the better strategy would be to say, not to say we can't platform this guy, but let's engage in conversation. Let's have debates about the ideas with him and the people who are following him. Yeah. So you don't see, see him as a white supremacist. Would you think it'd be fair to call him a white uh, separatist? Because, uh, I mean, and the reason why I ask is um, that seems to be what a lot of people – I kind of tend to respect seem to think they actually seem to know something about him and i do think it's an important distinction because i think anytime anyone hears any white anything they immediately assume racism uh, yeah and i can get it because honestly dividing along ethnic lines is kind of dumb i mean i can make a bell curve argument myself and say maybe certain races are more likely to do this or that or have this culture or that culture but generally speaking it's probably one of the least important uh you know attributes uh, it probably determines, you know, the, probably the clothes you wear probably tells me more about you than your color. Of right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like statistically speaking, you can make inferences generally to some extent. Um, he, but yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to put any words in his mouth about whether he would consider himself a white separatist. Um, what I would say is I think that um, the the idea of race and cultures being different right and it not being like um uh that's not a positive or a negative it's just a reality that different races and the cultures that are that come with those and just to be clear 
I am attempting to articulate what I think is happening over there with him and the America First mindset around this issue. I'm not necessarily articulating what I think right now. What I'm saying is, is that the argument is that we can look at races and cultures and recognize that there are differences and preferences around them, and that's real. And people of certain races and cultures also sometimes tend to group together, want to preserve those cultures, things about those cultures in communities, in society, whatever. And so for me, I think that's an interesting discussion. Like I think, uh, and, and I think something that Nick has said and would say is that the globalist agenda is actually to make us culture less, yeah. is to take and eliminate any, any distinctions of, of culture or to turn us into this sort of like globalist, Global. you know? Yeah. Global. Yeah. And, and, and it's, <laughs> and, and ultimately it's like not going to honor any culture or any race. Right. But that the path to that, it, it involves destroying certain distinctions at the cultural level. Um, so, and again, I think this is an interesting conversation to have, right? Um, I don't I would even admit race is a component in that. I just think it's usually, generally speaking, a lesser component. Yeah. I do think on some base level, human beings tend to group up with like human beings, and that is one characteristic of which people will tend to group. I have far more white friends than I have black friends. Coincidentally, my best friend's a black dude, but you know, pretty much all my other friends are white. Uh, and I'm sure my, my black friend, if I uh, was to look at all his friends, he probably has far more black friends than, than white friends. So, yeah. you know, that's just how it, it tends to work, you know? Yeah. And I just want to add one thing, like the way that I've lived my life is I roll with lots of people that are different than me, that believe different things. I've always been somebody that I've tried to like be have be able to have conversations with people that I totally disagree with. Um, I think some of this goes back to I was a pastor for a time in the early 2000s. And like I was always trying to have an outreach mode and always trying to find common ground with people. And so I'm absolutely against these ideas of like, oh, you can't even hang out with people you disagree with or that their ideas are, quote unquote, reprehensible, whatever that means, like. I, I don't disavow people. I will associate with whoever I want. And that doesn't speak anything to about what I believe about anything, except for the fact that I actually like to surround myself with a strong diversity of ideas and people. And, you know, you know, and that, and I, I really, I really, uh, I really think something interesting is happening in the America first movement. And as a, filmmaker and as somebody that's diving into right-wing culture and stuff that I'm covering, like, um, that's, that's attracting me there. And I'm not doing it like a guy that I'm like, Oh, I'm looking at this. What's this weird thing that I don't like or know anything about? No, no. Like I, um, I find myself agreeing with some positions of the America first movement and I don't consider myself like an America first guy. I'm not rolling with yay right now. Like, Oh, whatever yay's position is, that's what it is. Um, you know, like, uh, I just, um, uh, I think that it would be valuable for, uh, here, here's one thing, what I will say is right now, I think the real place that we have to unify as people and as a nation is those of us who are against the establishment, right. That are against the power structure. 
And I think we have to find a way to unite with other people who are actually against the establishment, the power structure, even if they have a diversity of beliefs on other issues that we may not agree with, because the establishment power structure is so entrenched, it's so deep, it's so dominant in culture and in politics that we have to cast aside almost everything else that divides us if for us to have a chance to stop it. And the America First movement is a big wing of that. Like the MAGA movement's a wing of that. I would even say like the libertarian movement is a wing of that. And is that in that it's anti-establishment and that that div dividing all of these anti-establishment groups apart is going to make it so that we can't actually get any traction um, to make a difference or to stop the steamrolling of the power structure and the establishment. So I think that's also the eyes that I see um, see there. Yeah, I think there's something to be said. I mean, especially since we were talking about like culture and groups and I guess that kind of includes race. Uh the irony here is that, like, you know, for example, like, say with an actual legit white supremacist, if they're anti-establishment, who cares? We're trying to break away from the global homogeny. Is, that's what global homo is, for people who don't know. I know people think it means gay. I mean, it does kind of make it funny that people think that. Yeah, I, I, right, I don't care. Right, right. Take it what you mean, but it means global. I mean, it is, it is gay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. yeah, that too. But it, no, uh, that's what it means. So it's like the globalist agenda type shit. The idea of kind of like uh, making, you know, one just gray type culture that everyone just kind of blends into. And the idea is really that, you know, even the white supremacist should be able to have his corner that he can feel happy. Just, I don't know, maybe in that yeah. little area, the black people don't go there or whatever. And the black yeah. supremacists in their own little area. Who gives a shit? Dude, so. if, we, if we actually experience national divorce and secession, like I'm absolutely fine with a state that is totally white separatist or whatever. Like I'm I mean, look, I, I like I don't want to I don't I think I think people can associate in a community, in a in a county, in a city, in a state in any way. And, you know, uh, that's going to mean that that people get together and, and live in a way that I may or may not agree with. Right. And um I think the difference between th those of us in the libertarian and th that aren't on the progressive left, like I think the progressive left ultimately or whatever we want to call it, like they don't want anybody to have the right to live in a way that they disapprove of, like at all, like, the, the, you know, for for there to be a deep red state, you know, full of like Trump supporters is is an abomination to them. They're like they want to try to figure out how to eliminate that. Whereas I'm like, look, I don't care if there's a big blue state that does all sorts of things that I hate. And if we have this big red state and then we have this other one that's like, you know, I mean, Richard Spencer's governor of or whatever. It's like, you know, I mean, and 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 maybe that maybe that rubs people the wrong way because maybe I'm supposed to be animated by, you know, total human flourishing and freedom, whatever that means, it, you know, or whatever. And I'm just like, look, I don't even believe everybody wants to be free. I don't even believe that, that that's actually true. Like I actually think that there's a lot of people who make the bargain with the state because it's, it's got temporary benefits at the surrender of responsibility and freedom. And that's, and people are free to make that bargain, you know? So I, I don't feel like we have to try to free everybody. Like that's actually not even uh, what some people want in my opinion. Um, and, and I think some libertarians kind of 
have that mantle. It's like until everybody is free, it's like, dude, not everybody wants it. You don't understand that. So yeah. that's my opinion. Maybe, maybe people agree, disagree with me on that. But yeah, in an ironic way, if you're taking away the chains of someone who wants their chains, it's kind of an almost anti-liberty position. So yeah, you know, that's what they want. That's what they want. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a uh, paradox. Uh, you know, they you know want their consent to be you know withdrawn essentially. Uh, or not to have the ability to consent uh, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, you, you, you touched on something that I thought was kind of interesting. I think uh, you talk about the progressive mindset and trying to control everything. I think one good example of that is you look at Kyrie Irving and the shit he's gone through. Like he w- shared a link to a documentary that was on Amazon that I never watched it. I don't know. Maybe it's just pure you know Jew hating vitriol. I don't know. But the seems to be the takeaway I've gotten from a lot of people is some generic black Israelite stuff. And, you know, I, I haven't seen anything from any press conferences Kyrie ever said that would, could be seen as offensive. He even seemed to make allusions to the fact that he kind of believes black people are the real Jews. So how can he be anti-Jewish? And they still that, that was never enough for them. They needed full and utter surrender. It became an ideological battle that they had to win one way or another. And I think he did sort of cave somewhat. I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know if you have any comments on that. I just thought that was a good example of kind of the, you know, compare and contrast of what we're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a, there's a real parallel between him and yay, frankly. And I mean, obviously, but, but um, it, the, 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 the underlying dimension of it is like the, the, the ability for somebody who has a large platform reach or influence to communicate unapproved thoughts or to break ranks from like sacred narratives. Right. Like that's kind of what I see in that. And I think some of what uh, Ye's leaned into is he's got this real curiosity because, you know, he was a billionaire four days later, he couldn't use Apple pay. Right. And he's like, whoa, you know, this is a big deal. And by the way, if I'm rich and powerful, you know, uh, what about the regular people? Right. And he really thinks he's really thought about that. He's like, wow, this is crazy. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And and I think it made him think about, like, what is the sacred narrative that I violated here? Right. And he did violate a sacred narrative. And and when when people start digging deeper into this, you know, I think the question is, is like, why is this a sacred narrative? Why is this narrative so much more if if you violate this narrative, your life is over versus other narratives, you know, like, you know, and, and we could go down that rabbit trail. I don't really want to. But I'm just saying, for, even for me, like. I'm a person where I'm like, oh, there's a sacred narrative here. Okay, let's see what's going on there. Like, I want to, I want to slaughter sacred cows, right? And so, I think that that's that's what what's at issue. And it's like, well, who who is who benefits? Like, who who? And you know, I, I don't want to say like who is they. And and again, <laughs> I really think they is like the elite power structure. Like, I think it's it's uh, I think the religion they subscribe to is is not a traditional religion right it's a religion um i mean it's maybe satanism somebody would say or whatever but it's like it's like there is there is an elite global power structure that controls the narrative and the internet i'm not gonna say with an ethnicity that no i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah right yeah 
Yeah, no, it's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm really, I'm really, honestly saying it's like you know, yeah, I know this with you. It's it the mean, Kanye line. You heard him. Yeah. He's like, I'm not gonna say what else. Is. They were doing. Yeah, it. yeah, and it's like, it's like the the point is, is like there is some force and power that has the ability to destroy lives, to make you surrender, to make you repent of violating a sacred narrative, and it's like. I just want more attention like paid to that and say, what is it? Not I, I say, listen, I violated several sacred narratives. It's why I'm I'm kicked off of the Internet. It's uh, the election is a sacred narrative. You know, the January 6th is a sacred narrative. Some people were kicked off for violating the sacred narrative of covid. Right. And so it's like th this is a this is a real issue right now. And it's it's like one of the reasons I think we're seeing this is because for a season, the internet was pretty free. There was a lot of places you could go and things that you could do, and it was very much more decentralized. And as the centralization has happened, those avenues have gotten captured and they've become captured and they must like bow down to the sacred narratives, right? And we're seeing that there's like freaking spooks all up in Twitter and we know they're all up in YouTube and Facebook, it's probably way worse than those organizations. And so the, the, the consolidation of communication and the internet and now the capture of it, and then the elimination of the problematic voices, that's what we've witnessed over the last like four years. And so that's why all of this is at, at stake. And so with a guy like Kyrie, with somebody like Yay, what I see is people out there who are, are taking courageous stands um, in a general sense on this idea of like, what does it mean to have free speech and what does it mean to question a sacred narrative? Um, so anyway, I might've gone way off topic on your question no, no, there, that's but fine. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was debating, you know, going full on to the JQ, but you know, we, we don't have enough time for that. Uh, cause I, mean, I, I, I do want to touch a little bit cause there is something to, I don't think there is some sort of intrinsic, uh, characteristic of uh, Judaism or, Jewish people, and that's actually kind of you know, a lot of the you know, kind of a point I'm sort of getting to is the idea that it's, it's religious, it's ra it's racial, it's cultural, it's all these different things. It's just like catch all. Uh, I do think that there have essentially been incentives put in place that allow. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the right way to phrase it. Allow certain people to advance certain uh, in certain ways, and also give them this kind of like catch all, like oh you're doing this kind of this protection. Uh, you know, so I do think there is something to that. I, and that's why I think you end up seeing a lot of people in these high, high up spots. There's also the connection to the actual state of Israel. Uh, so then a lot of what gets perceived is like, oh, the Jews. It's like, well, no, that's like Israelis. Those are legit Israeli people that are like in the, the higher echelons of yeah. government. So like it's, all these things sort of get blended into one. There's also this, like I was kind of alluding to this immediate catch-all, like, oh, you're anti-Semitic whenever you point out anything they don't like, or, yeah. or even, like, you can make have a criticism of Israel, and it'll be anti-Semitic. And it's like, yeah. they, they will, it, essentially, it's just like, it's, it's super hard not to be anti-Semitic by the way they define anti-Semitic, because it's a race, because it's a culture, because it's a religion. And it, 
And so it's like, well, which which one of these am I violating? It's it gets way too confusing. To be yeah, able to parse yeah. Is, is, it a, is it a race, a culture, a nation state? Like what is criticizing? It's like Yay said this. So just on Jones, so he's like, if I criticize the Mossad, is it misogynistic? You know, I mean, so it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, can I criticize the intelligence agency of the nation state of Israel? Like, where where's the line? And the the irony of this. Right. And this is how it is for a lot of things when you think about it. But it's like I think there are a lot of people now who are kind of like, OK, e either this is or isn't true. But like we're seeing some things now that it's like, well, wait a minute. So, you know, earlier this week, five Jewish groups came out and they issued a statement calling on big tech to censor content creators who share the platform with yay, like ADL, SPLC, a couple other ones of them. OK. And it's like, OK. That happened, right? And then I think the ADL is like lobbying the government for like a half a billion dollars in funding. Like, wait, because of the rise in in anti-Semitism, right? And it's like, wait, hold on. Like, it, can I for a minute just stop and say, wait, is this a big freaking grift? Like, is, if, if the ADL gets... $500 million of ta my tax dollars, right? Because of the rise of anti-Semitism, then I start to think, wait, is it in their interest to generate the public belief that we are seeing this historic rise in anti-Semitism, right? Like that's not, am I crazy to think that? Or is that like just something that I'm going to look at? And, and so for me, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a great grift if you could pull it off. But it's like, if, if we are not living in a time of a historic rise of anti-Semitism, then some of these organizations cease to have a reason to exist. And I will say this about the freaking cancer, National Cancer Society or any other organization that's tasked with, you know, their sole purpose of existence is to like solve a problem, right? It's like once the problem's solved, they should disband. Well, if the problem just continues on forever and is growing, you know, like they continue to raise money and are funded. So I don't care what the issue is, but people look, you know, it's not hard to look at that stuff and be like, well, wait, is he so far off of the target if this is what's happening, you know? Um, and so, and it's like, it's weird. Benjamin Netanyahu issued a statement about Nick Fuentes. It's like, we're living in a strange world where this is happening. So, um, you know, I just say to all of it, I just say, look, um, my curiosity tends to lead me into places that I'm not supposed to go. And I yeah. think there's a lot of people that have that way. And so everything that's happening right now, I think, is leading people to just start questioning sacred narratives. And uh, I think I think this exists in the realm of sacred narrative. And I think getting to the bottom as to why and what's going on there doesn't make you a Holocaust denier or somebody who hates Jews and loves Hitler. No, it's like, I think we're all trying to figure out how the world actually works. Yeah. Oh, and there was another little point I want to add to that. I think there also is some dimension. This kind of touches on the Fuentes talk we we're having before where uh, groups do act in certain ways. And essentially, you know, to get to my point of it being a racial, religious, uh, national, uh, cultural thing, it essentially cr created a super group where like now there, you can, you essentially have this weird inbuilt, uh, you know, camaraderie between these groups. You know, whenever there's this call of anti-Semitism, 
there'd be people who, especially if they haven't really looked into the topic, will immediately have a feeling of that's bad because yeah. they may not know. And this could be, it could be someone that's doing it to a religious Jew or something. And now someone's calling the bullhorn of anti-Semitism and a, an atheist, uh, you know, um, cultural Jew could take up the banner for his, on his behalf. So there is some sort of uh, group dynamics that's happening here that gives it more power than your normal group dynamic, because in a normal group dynamic, it may be more one dimensional as opposed yeah. to, you know, uh, the, I don't know, the mechanic, the community of mechanics are upset about this thing. And it's like, well, it'd be weird if, if I don't know, uh, the dry cleaners started getting involved. And, you know, <laughs> right, but now right. if you gave them the same word, you know, they, they, yeah. for some reason, dry cleaners and mechanics were called the same thing. Like, well, they're being anti-mechanic and the dry cleaners may jump in being kind of not knowing the situation. So yeah. there is some sort of dynamic there where they essentially have created like a perfect little super group. And I don't mean that in some nefarious way. I think it's just more of a language thing in some ways, whether that was intentional, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I also want to point something out is that, you know, we're, we live in a time now too, where words are thrown around just to delegitimize people and make it so that nobody has to honestly engage with their ideas. Right. So whether it's misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, racist, anti-semitic i'm leaving some out right but all of those words carry with it a certain weight that once publicly attached to somebody and it's put out uh, out there into the world that it gives people an excuse not to even think about it to talk about it i now it's like oh i can't even put that person on a platform to debate them right and like for me i'm to the point now where i'm like oh that's just a tactic of the left or of uh, individuals who want to shut these ideas down. It, it's, and, and for me now, I'm just like, oh, there's a dangerous idea. Why is this a dangerous idea to the establishment? And so that, and I think some of these words are losing their power because mm -hmm. they've been thrown around so much. Like people know it's like, what, you know, now that Donald Trump was literally Hitler, like nobody is right. I mean, it's like, uh, and, and so, that's the way that's what I think is the other thing that's so powerful about. It. I mean, even Freedom Fest, like, you know, after the whole dust up with Nick and they, you know, banned him and banned the movie, you know, it didn't stop the SPLC from being like Andrew Yang is the Asian face of right supremacy because Clint Russell and Reed Coverdale and uh, Nick Fuentes got kicked out, but he was there. And it's like it's not going to stop him to doing like six degrees to Hitler for everybody. So. <laughs> Uh, on the other hand, I'm just like, they're going to call me a uh, white supremacist, not Nazi, you know, misogynist or whatever anyway, you know, po possibly just because I'm a white guy, but, you know, also because I have the wrong political beliefs. So on the other hand, I'm kind of like, maybe I'll just lean into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question. I kind of wanted to, I wanted, we were talking about Fuentes earlier. Kind of want to get your thoughts on Fuentes as uh, essentially being counseled to uh, yay! Because uh, we talked about this in the episode I had with you. There, I the, some of the the, the main narrative or, or the idea I think behind yay is almost like I, I kind of said this before. It's almost like a sifting mechanism because you can just look at the clips and be like, "Oh my God, he said I love Hitler" or this or that. Or you can watch the whole entire thing and try to understand in its entirety what he was saying. Yeah, maybe he said a little bit extra, uh, said some things for comedic effect or this or that, but. What did he mean? Can you you interpret this with a favorable interpret favorable interpretation? And I feel like 
personally myself, I know a lot of people suggest say like, oh, he should get somebody like Dave Smith or somebody else to be his counsel that's better on the ideas. I think if you're focused on the specific policies, you're kind of missing the point. I think there <laughs> is something to a having Fuentes because he's like a, he's essentially does what Ye does but in a different way. He does it in more of an intellectual way where he'll say things that people find offensive, but it, but if anything, they sometimes find it more offensive or offensive in a different way because he's intellectualizing it. Whereas Ye is not really making an attempt. If anything, he's more making a spiritual uh, type of you know uh, argument in a lot of ways. Whereas then he'll be like, I'm going to kick it to you, uh, Nick, and then he will kind of make like the intellectual. And it's right. like, so it's almost like they're hitting it on different rounds where you can have you know, you could have Fuentes talking about the bell curve or something and somebody would get offended because it's like, yeah. oh, how dare you bring up this racist, blah, 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 blah. And then as opposed to, you know, yay, just making the, oh, I like Hitler. And then later explaining like, well, you know, I believe in Christian love or, or what have you. And, right. you know, we should love our enemies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost like they're different, hitting it on different things, which I don't know if anyone else could really do that quite like Fuentes in this certain thing. Like, cause if you got somebody like a Dave Smith, it's not to say he doesn't ever say funny or edgy things. Uh, he does, but it's a little bit different with somebody like Fuentes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things I would say about this uh, to steal a phrase from uh, my friend, Ali Alexander. He says, you know, politics is art and science. Right. And so like, I think on, on one hand you got yay is the art and, and Fuentes is the science, so to speak, right, um, in that way. And, you know, I think libertarians could learn a lot from the idea that politics is art and science because we tend to talk about the science a lot, you know, and the facts a lot and the consistency a lot and everything. And it's like, uh, but not not impacting the culture, right? And so I think that that is at play, certainly. Um, and, and at the same time, um, I do know that in some time that I spent with Ye because, um, you know, some of your viewers might know this or not, but, you know, I picked him up from the airport the night before I hung out in his hotel room a couple of hours that night, picked them all up the next morning, drove to the sporting goods store and bought the net, went to Alex Jones's studio and hung out there for the whole thing. And so I listened to a number of conversations that were being had, heard him talk about different things that he believes and thinks. And he is aware that at a certain degree intentionally he is like crashing through the wall like a battering ram the wall a wall that he sees and something that he is trying to tear down right and recognizing that he's not necessarily the surgical tool to do it but he's like a blunt object that makes an impact um and recognizes that like hey we i need some surgical tools as well to like kind of expose this thing and to shade and nuance this thing. And the other thing is, is that I don't think it's like a mistake that a guy, yeah, I mean, the, the people have to call him crazy because it, it's the only way they can make sense of it. They're like, Oh, Nick is a way racist, white supremacist hanging out with yay. Oh, so he's, Oh, he's crazy. And uh, Nick Fuentes got into his head or, you know, it's like, people don't have any way to make it make sense. And it's like, no, what if actually they have found camaraderie and common ground around how the establishments come against them and certain ideas that are contained there. Um, but it's like, that is an interesting and powerful thought. If you think about it, it yeah. let's just pretend everything they say about Nick is true. 
that he's actually a white supremacist and a racist and you have yay and that their desire to take down the establishment is so unifying that it could bring even them together to do it right i don't think that's actually true about nick but like that is that is what i was talking about earlier where i was like what if you could get people very diverse to come together and be like yeah we don't believe the same things but fuck the state right <laughs> like and the establishment and the people who are trying to destroy our lives steal our wealth from us keeping us from seeing our family who's dying like injecting us with fake crap for billions to be made by the pharmaceutical companies and want to make us bow down and kiss the ring of you know the politically correct left people who run everything and so i don't know it's it's an interesting i think that's also why it's a head scrambler because it's mm -hmm. like it would and what if i told you he's not crazy yeah well yeah. then what <laughs> yeah no i think the crazy thing is honestly kind of the the low um, maybe I wouldn't say low IQ. It's almost like the low information take, like you yeah. know, or just I don't know the lazy take because it's like, yeah, sure, maybe this seems like a lot of effort for a crazy person. But you know, I don't know. I, I've I've got a little bit of flack online because I said I think I see massive potential for this movement, uh, and then a lot of people immediately everyone assumes I'm thinking like, oh, what, what do you think is going to end up in the Oval Office? No, I don't. I don't think we'll ever see yay. In, in the Oval Office, even if he did get elected, I don't think he'd end up in the Oval right, Office. Right. Like, like, like I, he's not like, yeah, sure. Maybe I guess it's possible. I could be wrong. Could eat my words. But I think without a doubt, you know, I mean, I think already he has punched a hole in culture and, you know, caused a lot of things to be maybe I, I don't know. I have a hard time actually even really drawing a lot of negatives because uh, like we allude to in the episode I had you on last week. Like, I mean, shit, he normalized MK Ultra in Hollywood infiltration. Right. So yeah. it's like, it's like, oh yeah, that's old news. That's a thing that happens. Well, like, and here's, <laughs> here's the other thing. Like, I actually think this is another dilemma we have, right? Like I am to the place now where like, so Trump wins in 2016 and in a large way, it's, he's a billionaire with international brand name recognition. Okay. Like that plays a part. Okay. And he was anti-establishment figure. You can argue how much on the spectrum, whatever, but he was somebody that couldn't be controlled. And I think they didn't have any real dirt on him is the other thing. Like, yay even talked about this a little bit where it's like, look, and, and you know, through whatever you believe about how the whole Epstein thing was run, it's like, the thing is, is for decades, all powerful and influential people have been honeypotted to some degree to have life damaging you know, dirt on them so they can be blackmailed and they can be held in control. And it's like it, Trump somehow managed to not have like any because because they haven't been able to do that to him. Right. And um, he he's not as dirty as as his peers in Washington. You know what I mean? And it's like it's like but he was an anti-establishment figure who got into the presidency and he was he was not able to be controlled. They don't want that to ever, ever, ever happen again. And so. Anyone who's like, oh, yeah, Ron Paul or Rand Paul or like Dave Smith or whatever. It's like, OK, we, we could get into the mechanics as to why that probably can't happen. But it's like that is the system is designed to prevent exactly that from happening. Mitt Romney can get in friggin Ron DeSantis could get in probably, by the way, because by the time he gets there, he's probably going to be 
watered down and compromised in a way that is going to make him ineffective. What they can't allow is another huge celebrity with name recognition to come in and like possibly get in there. Right. And so I actually think it's almost our only hope at the, at the highest levels is it's like, we actually need to find rich celebrities who are anti-establishment and get them to try to go to the highest offices. It's literally only way it's going to happen. Um, and, and that's what I actually believe right now. Like, I don't think, I think we're just going to get versions of like, it's the Hegelian dialectic. It's like, you know, problem, reaction, solution. It's like the ratchet effect. It's all of that. And it's like the, he represents like, a more radical version of 2016 Trump in a way with bigger celebrity with bigger name recognition to groups of people, by the way, who weren't necessarily in the Trump world. Right. And, and so we can say he'll never get into the white house. He's not serious president. What I say is I'm like, look, I actually think there's a real threat to expose how the game is run and how the thing is played and so that's what I'm here for in a lot of ways. I'm not here for the policy positions. You know? Yeah, I, I, my big thing is I also think he will, even if he doesn't engage with these other political actors, whether it be debates or whatever, him just having that spectacle will have a uh, have an effect, even if he doesn't get anywhere near it. But now, especially so if he actually somehow gets in the mix uh, politically, it will be, uh, I do think it can, it can, it will cause certain people to move certain ways, which I think we touched on this a little bit, like kind of the effect he would have on a DeSantis, on a Trump, you know, maybe it would suck some of the energy away from a possible Trump or DeSantis. Uh, Cause you know, I, for me, honestly, I'd rather see Biden back or, or Trump than to see DeSantis. Uh, I know you kind of mentioned him being watered down. I think he already is kind of trash on a federal level. If you look at his like voting record and yeah. stuff in the past, keep, keep I, him yeah. in Florida, dude. I mean, yeah. it's like I love him in Florida. He's great. Yeah, yeah. On, a, on, a, on a state level, he's amazing. But I think when he gets the, the federal reins of power and he was able to control the military and the purse strings, uh, it's going to be an issue. Uh, yeah. So, and, you know, uh, I think it was Reed who kind of coined, uh, you know, being the conservative Obama. So, which yeah. I think is a good way to put him for sure. He has that yeah. same type of energy. Florida foreign policy, you know, is yeah. different than national foreign policy, right? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's a good point. So. Yeah. And I think part of what you're seeing and what you're describing and people, I think I don't want to be like who get it, but it's like uh, some of this is just that like, dude, we're in so much trouble and it's like it's going to take a radical, unpredictable black swan type event. Like I think I think Elon buying Twitter is kind of a radical black swan event, frankly. I don't think he's the messiah. OK, but like like stuff's coming out that never would have come out and it's still so little, but it's, it's like, it's the iceberg. Right. And it's like, that was kind of a black swan event. I don't think they ever wanted him to take over Twitter and he did. And it's like, we need more things like that to happen, but it's, it's really problematic to like pin all our hopes on that. Like how many of these, <laughs> right. So um, yeah, man, I think, uh, I think these types of, unexpected, uncontrollable, radical figures and events are are really necessary right now to shake things up, wake more people up and get people to really um, ha have see see what's going on. And, you know, I think those things have the power to wake more people up than the most reasoned article, you know, article on Mises.org, love the guys or 
the best podcast that you know Joe Rogan could put out. Um, it's like, you know, that that's that's what we need. So um, you know, I think it's an interesting development. All right, let's uh, finish this up. I want to touch on a couple things. It kind of wants a follow up from our interview last year because last year we covered a lot of that uh, election and January sixth stuff. Uh, one thing I want to cover is we talked. I believe, if I recall correctly, we touched a lot on the uh, the Fed possibilities of the Jan six stuff. Uh, I believe is I always forget if it's Ray or Mike. I know one's the actor, one's the the Fed. Uh, and there was that that Epps guy that was really yep. shady. Yep. Uh, apparently, come to find out through court documents about a month ago, they they uh, I, I mean, if anyone out there wants the wants it, you can just look it up on Google. January six federal informants, Proud Boys. Uh, apparently, they had a bunch. I think it was up to eight or somewhere in the eight is what the court records show. Yep. Uh, federal informants uh, within the Proud Boys. Now, to be clear, there's a distinction between informant and an actual Fed, but I don't know. It's almost a difference without a like a distinction, sort of. But uh, you know, it, I guess it matters, sort of. Um, essentially, my opinion with them is it's it's a way for the Feds to be able to keep an arm's length and have plausible deniability most times. Yeah. But you know, and it, I guess it kind of helps from a Manning position. But um, essentially, there were up to eight of them, and it was funny. We talked about before we kind of you know alluded to possible conspiracies of the Feds, you know, egging it on, causing it. Um, you know, kind of just fomenting discord in general. And now we we come to find out there were eight informants, but immediately the spin because now the way it was framed and pretty much everywhere I saw is the way the, uh, the the mainstream media was framing it was, you know, the question being, well, why didn't they notify us earlier? Right. And, you know, if anything, then they blamed it on uh, kind of like a miscommunication between informants and defense. <laughs> and it's like, it's just funny to see how the narrative shifts and it kind of slowly gets to where we were already at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I just kind of want to get your thoughts on it because it's just funny seeing us being uh, 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 vindified? Vindicated. Vindicated. Yeah. Vindified. yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I think that the breakdown was, you're probably referring to the same thing I'm thinking of, is I think it was like two in Oath Keepers, six in Proud Boys. Uh, but way. either way, it was sort of between both of those organizations. I want to share a couple of things about this. Number one, I've known Stuart Rhodes for many, many years. The first documentary I made, he's the guy who runs Oath Keepers. First documentary I made was called Nullification with Tom Woods about the 10th Amendment. Made it with Michael Bolden and Tom Woods. Stuart Rhodes was in that. I've known Stuart for a long time. Leading up to Jan 6, I was in communication with him. I saw him a few times. You know, I mean, so he's somebody I knew. Um, and after January 6th, um, you know, some reporting came out from revolver.news, Darren Beatty's, uh, you know, news organization where they were making some assertions based on a lot of charging documents early on in the Jan six defendant cases that maybe Stuart Rhodes was a fed, um, because there was these unnamed co-conspirators that seemed to be in high levels in the Oath Keepers. And he was putting pieces together as like, Stuart Rhodes is a Fed. He hasn't been arrested yet because at that time he hadn't been. And I had other people I talked to who were like, yeah, we think Stuart's a Fed. I even had the opportunity where I was, Stuart confronted me at CPAC in Dallas last summer and was like, do you think I'm a Fed? You know? And um, I said, no, <laughs> because I was like, didn't want to get beat up for saying <laughs> I thought he was, but I wasn't sure. And so what we've seen happen, though, is that Stuart Rhodes got arrested. Now he is being he's he's been found guilty of sedition 
or seditious conspiracy. He maybe gets sentenced to 20 years in federal prison um, for, you know, he didn't have a weapon in the Capitol or anything like that, but for, for, you know, planning the seditious conspiracy. So it's interesting is a couple of things. Number one, it looks as though Stewart was probably not the fed. I don't think they burn their feds like that. Um, and, and it's likely that there were people who are informants within the ranks that were gathering information that has been used to send him, you know, down the river. Okay. The other thing that's interesting to, to note about th this whole thing is that Stu uh, the oath keepers, um, they provided a lot of free security for a lot of the, the VIPs speaking with Stop the Steal. I was in vehicles with Ali Alexander and people from the Oath Keepers who were security, which is very interesting now that when you want to, when you want to think about how the, the government might want to get informants right in the center of information gathering, can you think of a better way than to have it be the guys who are providing security for the main organizers. It's like, so it's really a brilliant strategy from the, from the federal agency level to be like, let's infiltrate oath keepers. Like, and so, um, yeah, it may have been informants. There may have been actual feds. The other thing with the oath keepers too, and proud boys is a little different, but just talking about the oath keepers, oath keepers mission was to attract, uh, current and former military and police to be a part of their ranks. People who are going to be like, I'll defend the constitution I won't steal guns from citizens. And it's like, yeah, you know, now you, in retrospect, it's not hard to see how that could be filled with people who are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I support the Constitution. And they're just totally still working on behalf of the federal government. So I think that is something that that is is potentially been problematic in what I would call the Patriot Movement. And for like 10 years now, it's you know, it's likely that that's been at play. The other thing is, is with 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 the Proud Boys, I don't know as much about it, but, you know, there is the other question about whether or not certain people had developed relationships with law enforcement and were in communication with them, but weren't actually feds or federal informants, meaning like when you are and this is a, something I'm just suggesting, OK, like when you're um you know, at these heading these large organizations, activist organizations to go protest places where there's often law enforcement, all of that stuff going on, having relationships with law enforcement to be like, hey, we're coming here at this point in time doing this thing. We want to let you guys know what's up, you know, so there's not an issue. Right. That kind of communication does happen. Right. So it becomes difficult also to figure out, oh, because Enrico Tarrio's talking to the feds like is he talking to the feds or is he talking to the feds? Right. Is it like, and so it, it is really, really muddy um, what's going on, but I do think clearly there were people within those ranks that were feeding information back up to, uh, you know, people in the government who then of course didn't do anything to stop the worst event since nine 11, the civil war and Pearl Harbor combined. Uh, they didn't do anything to stop it. And the question always is like, oh, uh, what happened? Oh, there was a mistake or a breakdown. It's like at a certain point you start to realize, no, that's by design. <laughs> like they got the information. They're not doing anything about it because they're going to take that opportunity. Uh, January 6th was a honeypot, right? January 6th enabled the federal government to ID a million people 
through cell phone tracking and data and social media and whatever, identify a million people that are anti-establishment there to be dealt with, right? Um, I would say the Stop the Steal rallies provide that opportunity for them all throughout that whole time. And Antifa rallies, by the way, too. You know, I don't think Antifa is totally hired by the government, right? Like, I think some of those, some of what's going on there is like organic, left-oriented anti-establishment. They're all tagged, too, you know? And so when you start seeing the operation at that level, um, you know, I think it, I think it becomes pretty clear what's going on. And so, yeah, I do think it's a vindication. Um, I do think it's likely Stuart Rhodes isn't a Fed um, at this point. And I, I feel like really bad that he's a guy who's likely going to spend 20 years behind bars uh, for att- planning the overthrow of the government that went as poorly as an overthrow went on January 6th. Uh, let's put it that way. I, I like this. Uh, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say, if Stuart Rhodes actually wanted to overthrow the government, it would have been full of full of guns and way more effective than it was like, like that definitely wasn't the plan. You know, um, I can, I can tell you that. So I like to think your buddy Stuart that what they did is they're just like, you know what? One of them just don't take in, just let just, just to sow some, sow some doubt within the ranks. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of yeah. genius move. If you think about it, just leave yeah. one, make them wonder. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, 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 it is, uh, look, I think at the end of the day, man, like, you know, I'm over here making movies. You're over here doing a podcast. Like the, the fact of the matter is, is that I think we're all just doing things that in aggregate are dangerous to the, the power structure. And, you know, we're on the radar, like in, even, even this, even those of us who aren't up to much, I mean, it's like, I'm, you know, I've been emailed by the FBI and the department of justice. I've been audited by the IRS because I filmed these events. So like, and I had almost no following on Twitter, you know, like I'm a nobody. And it's like, so don't just think cause you're a nobody podcaster, you know, or nobody libertarian volunteer or whatever that you're not freaking on a list. It's like the list is broad, it's big and they got a lot of ways to get you on it. And so it's a dangerous time to be somebody who's vocal, who's won't self-censor themselves. And it's more needed than anything. So we got to do things to make ourselves cancel proof, to be able to have our income that's not tied to some, you know, having to take a jab or, you know, be able to have communities of people who have our back um, around us. We've just got to do things to to find ways to protect ourselves so that we can still do what we're called to do and have courage and hopefully not have our lives ruined in the process. Yeah. Another thing, uh, last time we talked, we talked on a lot of that uh, shenanigans of that thing that happens every four years. And uh, I think me and you kind of came to a similar conclusion, which we wouldn't be very like astounded if it was, you know, there was some foul play. But we we think at the very least it was, you know, um, manipulated by, uh, you know, or they manipulated democracy. Maybe yep. not, maybe not the specific, uh, you know, numbers of people in a blatant way, but you know, with the powers of the media and stuff, they were able to manipulate it since it's just about making the masses do a certain thing. And so, yeah, that would mean technically that that one thing that happens every four years is completely on the up and up, but the government had infiltrated these other organizations to uh, essentially get their will through by manipulating the general public through the media, essentially, or social media particularly. The reason I bring this up is because we just had the Twitter files that drop, which 
I mean, I guess you can give me your opinion. I thought they were a little bit underwhelming, but I guess it's just for me. I mean, it's underwhelming, but it's a good thing because it's kind of like, yeah, I, mean, I already fucking knew this. But, like, you know, like it's for normal people that are like, oh, here's the thing that says it happened. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, there wasn't like a smoking gun for us that knew it was happening, but it's going like, all right, well, I've heard a million different ways that they're possibly doing this or likely doing this. At a certain point, you're like, okay, like, yeah, I don't have a smoking gun, but I have a bajillion of like, you know, I know still warm guns. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and, and I, thought. you know, I think um, since we last talked about this, some things have changed for you a little bit, or I've got more clarity. And the way I see it now is I see that after 2016, the plan to ensure that Trump did not get a second term was underway from, from then everything from Mark Elias and the lawfare that happened to um, and the and George Soros and others money to come in and get certain DAs and secretaries of state and all of this elected, which is like, you know, legal to the degree it, it, it's legal, right? What they're doing. But it's like strategic people to come into places that will have the ability to do certain things to shift electoral how the elections are held four years in the future or two years in the future, that stuff was happening. Right. And like, that's actually documented. And so then like this whole idea of even getting these people put into positions in social media, like I think that was likely part of the plan to try to control narrative. They saw what happened when the Hillary Clinton story came out. Right. And some of the communication in these in, in 2016, you know, the Comey, Hillary Clinton thing, they say, oh, that's what gave Trump the election. There was communication that came out, and I think Matt Taibbi's or Barry Weiss's, where it's like people within Twitter were clearly like the Hunter Biden thing is going to do to Biden what the Comey thing did to Clinton. They absolutely were like, there's no way we can allow this to happen. And I think the 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 ethos of Trump is an existential threat that cannot be allowed to do another four years animated so much of what has gone on, what went on in social media, mass media, all that sort of thing. And so then when you get to the brass tacks of like, you know, the, the 2020 election, really COVID was the last thing that was used as a cover in order to loosen chain of custody, change election laws, not through the legislatures of states as is constitutionally required, but through the stroke of a pen of the secretary of state or even election boards or a judge saying, oh yeah, we're going to, yeah, okay, there's another 14 days for this to happen. And oh yeah, chain of custody. Oh yeah, uh, mass mail-in ballots. Oh yeah. And so with 2020, we saw for the first time certain states that were like, every citizen will get a ballot mailed to them. And now I think in 2022, what some people are getting hip to is that it's the collection of ballots that is really the key to uh, electioneering. And so you had certain practices that were introduced in 2020 that didn't exist, that now continue to exist, and COVID was the cover to make it happen. And so to the degree that I look at it from a 30,000-foot level, on one hand, I'm like, Trump got outplayed, Bare, plain and simple. And part of the reason he got outplayed in 2020 is because the establishment Republican Party wanted him out, right? 
there were people who were not going to do anything to get him a second term. Right. And I do think that there was enough fraud and illegally cast votes. If you if you define that constitutional laws mean what is legal. Right. So laws that say uh, this is how we're going to do elections. But the state constitution says that the legislature has to change it. Those are illegal votes. Right. I think there's definitely over 60,000 collectively in those five states that would have swung the election the other way. I absolutely think that was true. And I think what's more important is to look at that Time Magazine article that came out about the secret conspiracy and recognize that they actually told you everything that they did there. And part of the reason I think they said it is because they have got the infrastructure very entrenched now. It's going to be very difficult to break it. And some of it's like legal or questionably legal or whatever. But, um, you know, even the FTX thing right now, you know, Sam Bankman Freed and like the billions, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, how all that flowed in to potentially impact the 2022 election. Like, I just think the layers and layers that are there make it pretty clear that there's sort of like an institutional structure now that makes it possible for elections to be swung one way or another. And I think that's the rules of the game now. And I think it's a, it's a problem for us because if we can't vote the bums out, you know, libertarians like to be flipping about this and be like, I don't vote. And you know, voting it's like, it's like, but if you can't vote the bums out, then you are a slave, you know, being grifted upon, um, you know, taxation is theft. You have no say about it. They're going to send it to their money laundering scheme in Ukraine or through FTX or whatever. And they're all going to get rich and you're going to have a collapsing economy and currency and, you know, eat bugs. So that's the problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, hopefully that brings some clarity to what I think about it. But um, yeah, perilous times, perilous times. Yeah, sure. I do think the lesson to be taken from Trump getting in in his term in office is the idea that you're going to be able to get one of your guys in at the federal level and actually be able, because people will fantasize about getting Ron Paul in or something. It's like one, he, I mean, if he really did end up falling through, and I think Ron Paul would be the kind of guy to have strength of character to actually try to put forth his ideas. Uh, I think he would likely be someone who takes a uh, convertible ride. Uh, yep. But, you know, on the off chance he didn't, they would just hem him up every diff which way in bureaucratic manners like they did Trump to some extent. Uh, and then I think the, uh, you know, especially 2020 and specifically the event we're kind of alluding to here, and I'm kind of dancing around a little bit for YouTube censors. Uh, I think that also tells you that, like, the chances of you even being able to get your guy in there now are slim as well. So yeah. I think, you know, I've said, you know, especially for my anarchist listeners connect with this, maybe some people are new to this. I think really Hoppe or Konkin are really the only ways to go, in my opinion. Right. You're like, you either got like, I mean, I'm more hip on uh, Konkin, but there's definitely merits to Hoppe. And, you know, I think the more uh, energy you're putting in the places that matter most, the uh, you know, like if you're putting more of a, you know, identity, you know, within you, your family, your community into your local area, as opposed to some sort of large federal organization, even just on a, uh, even just on a, you know, how you identify, how you feel with it, not in like a, I don't know how I'm trying to say, but yeah, that, that will essentially, you know, undermine the, 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 the federal powers that be just to some extent, it's kind of like, it's kind of hopeless. So that's why as silly as it may sound when I say somebody like, yay, I can see, you know, great, uh, possibilities from that. It, it's it's not because I think he's going to get into in there and do something. It's just that 
he's, you know, kind of showing it for what it is, uh, kind of, you know, he's a bulldozer. Bart, let's uh, get out on here. I want to get an update on uh, how our how our buddy the Kunan uh, Shaman is doing, and then we'll get out of here because I just yeah. think people should know, you know, what's going on with him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, the Kunan Shaman spent I think 311 days in solitary confinement prior to him pleading guilty to um, uh, interrupting Congress, which carried with it a large penalty if they wanted to go for it. And they actually gave him 41 months in prison. Uh, they gave him credit for time served, uh, which was good. So he had about another 30 months that he was going to have to serve. And uh, he's now a little over a year into that uh, 30 month term. Um, there's a possibility that he is going to see the light of day in 2023 and maybe even sooner than you would think, you know, potentially the spring or summer of 2023. Um, I've heard he's in really good spirits. I have not spoken to him um, for a long time. I've spoken to him since he's been in jail, but it's been a while. And um, but he's in good spirits. Um, you know, they didn't break him. Solitary didn't break him when he spoke at his sentencing hearing. You would never know that that's a man who like was spent 311 days in solitary. And so um, he's looking forward to coming back out and re regaining his life, regaining his freedom. Um, and he's, uh, you know, was behind us and in our corner and gave his ble his blessing to us to tell his story in Q sent me, which we uh, the first episode of that, like I said before, is on my movies. Plus, it's almost an hour long. And for anybody who's just interested in this guy, it's it's the episode that's got his whole story. He tells it directly to us all of the B-roll and the, and the video that goes with it. We've got calls that he had with the FBI um, on his way back from DC. Um, you know, him going on the Alex Jones. There's a lot of interesting, crazy stuff that happened to him in just that, you know, 72 hour period that we cover. Um, but you'll get an insight into this guy's head and mind. Um, and um, I think no matter what you think about him, whether you think, Oh, he was a, was he a fed or BLM or, you know, was he really a MAGA guy? Is he crazy? Is he, you know, uh, I think it, no matter what your perspective is, when you come to the film, you'll see something different than you expected with this guy. So we're really happy with how that episode's turned out. And uh, people can go check that out. And we've got two more episodes dropping, hoping to have the next one out right around Jan 6th of this year. And then the third episode. And we're going to get into the issues of federal info agent infiltration, the ramifications of weaponizing the DOJ against political dissidents. That's the expanded story. We'll get into those future episodes. So, yeah. So that's it, man. He, he, in 2023, we're hoping he's going to be walking free having served his time. And, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens from there, but, um, definitely a political prisoner, definitely a guy who was just made an example of who didn't have a weapon who didn't damage any property, who didn't commit violence, who actively told protesters not to hurt police officers, who went around and told people, Trump told us to go home, guys, let's go home, you know. Um, but yeah, he was the symbol of that day and he had to be, he had to be done, you know, he had to be given a stiff sentence yeah. in order to make a point. Yeah, well, I'll be uh, definitely trying to get him on the show whenever he gets out. Yeah, uh, right on. Yeah, Let me know. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely to get him be on the you up. <laughs> 
yeah. So if you if you want to just go and drop whatever plugs again, uh, you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you forgot or want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Go to go to mymoviesplus.com. You can check out the most canceled man in America Ooh. there for free right now, and also for seven bucks a month or thirty dollars a year. Catch Q sent me as we release that. Um, I also have a podcast that we do some streaming over at cozy.tv. It's cancel proof cozy.tv. Our show is cancel proof. And we do some interesting things on there. We have conversations, talk about political issues and ideas, talk about our, uh, the film projects we're making. And uh, so I've been streaming more regularly over there. Uh, other than that, I'm basically off social media still. So uh, yeah, go support the film, go cast a vote for free speech content over at movies plus they're great guys doing great work and uh, you know we need to support the counter economy so well yeah i definitely suggest you guys go check that out it's always a good conversation i have whenever jason's on so i'm sure he puts out great content i need to check it out uh cozy i'll have to figure that out i'm kind of a boomer when it comes to text c-o-z-y dot tv <laughs> and that's where you can go see well you used to be able to go see nick fuentes five nights a week yeah. but he's put his show on hiatus but uh you know, the next time he does a show, you never know if Ye is going to be in studio with him. So anyway, Cozy's got some interesting things going on over there. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out. I suggest others do as well. Um, you know, I didn't know you had your own show. You're definitely a good talker. So I think it's it's got to be good shit. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so if you guys like this, uh, you know, please subscribe, like, share, all that good stuff. This is a No Way Jose show. YouTube, all the major auto podcasters, obviously, as well. Follow me on Twitter at SenorJose2020. Uh, Patreon.com, No Way Jose2020 if you want to give me money. That we are out. This was a blast. I love having you on. I'll Thanks, definitely brother. have to have you on next time that you have another uh, new documentary or something like that coming out. But uh appreciate your time. All right, bro. Take it easy. You too.